yesterday morning They let me know you were gone Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you I walked out this morning And I wrote down this song I just can't remember who to send it to That's uh, I see fire and I see rain. James Taylor, is it? James Taylor, mate, one and, of the uh, legends. That's uh, that's Tony Luchusa's favourite song. I'm guessing there's probably a bit of a story behind it, but there's fire, which he's created plenty of fires in his time, and then probably put some out too. Exactly the way it should be, mate, <laughs> as you would know. Me. <laughs> it's, um, I don't know if there's any person that's been more controversial through your rugby league career than you. Yeah, mate. Been, been through some of... ups and downs and. and amalgamations and fallovers and, and new ovals and all kinds of different things so you've, you've been in the in the football scene in group four for a while how many years you coached the west lions uh yeah, coached at uh, west lions for 18 years and um as you just said then it was like fire and rain i tell you it was um, <laughs> we were sort of thrown into a situation that we didn't really know too much about um, Just on that, that'll be the amalgamation of City and, and West and West, um, yeah. West Tamworth Robins. West Tamworth Robins. Going back to 1996. 1996. When they first amalgamated. Yep. The amalgamation, and you know, when we were at Tamworth City, as you would know from winning the Premiership the year before, we um, we knew there was a lot of talk about an amalgamation. And uh, when we were at Tamworth City, we we all assumed that we were going to amalgamate with the North Tamworth Bears, which made sense to us because. Yeah, we were the two poorer clubs on this side of the river, and uh, West was such a big, strong club there. And uh, but you know, in the end, we were surprised as everybody else was that we were going to amalgamate with the, the West Robins. Yeah, well, I look, you know, I still remember when the announcement came out, and like yourself, we we all thought we we're going that way, and mm. evidently we went the other way, and then things got even worse because half of us went out to Manila anyway. Yeah, well, <laughs> as you said, the control of everything was, you know in the background that we had nothing to do with and that was a lot of the controversy around it all and you know I was a West sort of junior and, 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 a, and a West I grew up in West Tamworth and uh, done a lot of water polo training over there all my life and then football training with Tamworth High School was a West junior but I had to play um, a water polo that year so I sort of pulled out so you know I had a, a lot of ties with West Tamworth High School and, and living at West and um, yeah when the amalgamation was going on it was uh, fairly well secret and then but basically, we were, we were brought in <laughs> to clean to the place up. Yeah, yeah, and it was so we, you know we were thrown on the fire, and um, so there was a lot of us over there. And you know, looking back at it now, it was it was handled handled very poorly. Yeah. Um, and then it became a uh, factional fight between all the the top heavyweights at who was going to take control over it. So we were there trying to pacify everybody and basically clean up. Uh, club that was in turmoil because as we know the West Robins are such a strong club and successful club and they played a great brand of football but um, over those few years you know they were struggling like all clubs go through and uh, the head honchos there wanted it all cleaned up and and um, um, you will thrown in. It was probably to do with um, the, the, you know, the clean up so to speak and then getting a guy like John Gutherson that come from Newcastle um, they didn't want a local bloke um, even though we had plenty of locals that were probably up to the job, but they wanted a complete clean out and start afresh basically with, with getting a, a coach from out of town. Didn't necessarily go quite to plan, but. No, it didn't go to the plan, and that was the, uh, you know, when we had the, the meetings with them about, you know, how the, 
what we were going to do to the club and I, I was basically given a, a piece of paper with myself and Peter Cook uh, with a lot of names on it and they sort of left us to do the dirty work there to say this is the people that we want out of the club and this is what we need to do, you know, we had to clean everything up, there was a lot of stuff going on there in the background so, you know, we, we were a bit dumbfounded with it all because we didn't realise, you know, what was going on there so... And then they, as you just said, then they wanted a uh, out-of-town coach. They wanted to start fresh. They wanted big-name coaches in to spend some money. And um, but it was, you know, it was handled very poorly from the top end um, with the decision making. And uh, basically, there was a lot of good footballers there from uh, both clubs, from the the Robins and the Lions that were overlooked. And you know, and as you know, you were part of that. And instead of bringing the two teams together, it actually put a wedge between it even further. And uh, then, you know, like you, as you said, you, you guys went out and started at Manila and then one club was defunct and, and that was the whole... I, I couldn't work out the reasoning why we had to shut down one club, start up a new one. And so the whole idea of it was just, it was just handled really poorly. And just the misinformation that was out there for years yeah. of, of actually what was being done there. And, um, you, know, my, you know, my view on it all was, you know, there were so many good ex... Uh, Robins players and where were they and why weren't they involved in the club before we got there and and uh, yeah so we had to go through and filter through what was happening at the club and then try to do our best to um, try to to pick the club back up which yeah. we did in the end. Well, we yeah, what uh, five or six premierships in a row under West Lions, but anyway that's as political as we're going to get on on, right on the show. We try, <laughs> I try not to be political because I don't like people to get in trouble on on the account of we're just trying to give people a bit of an insight. Um, like I said before, we started looking at um, some ex-players, and when you're a coach, um, that no longer involved in the game. Um, so, what was your connection to rugby league? Because you know you're a water water polo Australian representative, representative um, and captain of the Australian water polo side many years ago now. Yeah, a long but what time. was the connection with league? I know you you went to Tamworth High, so you part you played part of their their Tamworth High School side. Yeah, you, didn't play, you didn't play senior league, did you? Played senior, played uh, first grade with Temple City there when they were struggling back in the early days. But I, I retired when I was 23, so um, basically because I was heavily involved with the water polo. So it was, and you know what sports like these days, they overlap. Yeah. So I had to make the decision then whether to, to continue on with league or go to water polo. And the only reason I got back in the league is just to help out a mate, Mark Lingwood. Who was coaching at Tamworth City? He was a coppery. Yeah, he was a yeah. coppery lingy, and uh, he, he needed a hand, so I went down to give him a hand, and it sort of went from there. Because uh, I remember you being on on the coaching staff in '94, the year that we were never even meant to make the semis, let alone win the comp. Yeah, they had this uh, young hooker that named by Michael Smoodle playing <laughs> there. He was coach at that Tamworth City when we were there, and yeah, we weren't we weren't even expected to get to the semi-finals no, that I year. Think, but uh, uh, Mark Franker was our big signing that year. He'd been down to. Uh, South Sydney, I think. Yeah, he come and had a big game. You know, we had yeah good young kids too, like Chesty, Tony Constable, all those type of blokes that played that year, and you know had a great win against Gunnedah, and you know little turning points in the games, which uh, big chopper. Chopper Elphick. Yeah, yeah. yeah mate. Now, look, you've played, you've coached a lot of a lot of rugby league sides, and you've coached some fantastic players. I'm not going to go into who's your best and whatnot, but you'd have to admit um, our '94 side is one that I always refer back to is the mateship. Um, now you've been, like I said, you coached at West for 18 odd years, but you've coached for nearly 30 odd. Um, your your coaching strategy and, and you know, philosophy would be around that mateship. 
Oh, definitely, mate. Yeah, because I did all that through water polo as well, and water polo is basically like a sport that's similar to the rugby. You know, so it's that type of um, that type of feeling in the club. There's a lot of strong mateships and values, and you know, '94 side, everyone was just really close mates, and you know. We celebrated together, we trained together, it was a really good year, we weren't supposed to win, but we probably won that, you know, not because we had the better players, it was just a very good side and that's what we've always sort of stuck to in, in, in all my forms of sport, especially through water polo. Because I mean, I've played under you a few years now and captain a couple of times and people always ask, as, as coach and, I, and I've always you know, clearly stated that one of your greatest attributes was getting guys to come together as a team and as a club. and. And I think, um, and I said to people before that you could find two guys that absolutely hated each other, and by the end of the night, you had them as best friends. And I, I think that was always one of your strong points in getting a club you know, aside, especially you know, the grand finals and stuff like that. So. Yeah, and that's always a good thing too. You know, it's it's about uh, people management and and getting the best out of players, and you know, that starts from the grassroots and yeah. you know, getting guys together and. And you find that if they're together, well, you can see, you know, a bit what's going on in Broncos up there now, mate. You know, and it just seems to be, you know, there's a real that, divide. They've got there, no man. foundation yeah. of, you know, all being there together as mates. You know, they brought a lot of young kids in and people from out of side, and you can see that in their performances. But I think in, in any sport, doesn't matter what sport it is or at any age group, if if you can get everyone down and be good mates and respect each other, you'll always yeah, get a good result. Now you, you got your own business, Tony Latrice Pastry. Yeah, I've been in the building game in Tamworth for, you know, uh, since I was an apprentice. So the building game in Tamworth's been good to everybody and so I'd probably be doing more painting these days uh, with my artwork and stuff like that than in the building game as you get older. But uh, yeah, but Tamworth's been a great little uh, community for all that type of stuff. And you've got the two boys, Alex and, and Colby. Um, now, before we go too far into them, um, how did it feel when Colby went from West, basically, to play for North. Well, Because <laughs> there was a rivalry there for a long time. Yeah. And some, sometimes it was beat up, sometimes it wasn't a real rivalry, but it was a local derby. But I still remember when Colby ran onto the paddock for North, so I was sitting in the grandstand giggling, thinking, I wonder how Trish is handling this. Well, mate, I was probably the one that sort of pushed him that way as well, because he, um, yeah, it was a game, it was about playing with mates, and um, he, he played actually in that last team at West, and as you would know, it's a great feeling when you get get to play with your your son, son yeah. and um, with Josh, and then you know it was great to have you know Mitch Doreen and Colby and these type of players that were coming through as juniors, and he was a part of that last West winning team. And then uh, when we all retired, he actually went over and played with Pirates, and uh, had a few good years at Pirates. And then you know he wanted to get back to league, and most of the guys that he he, he was playing with were playing for Norse and he just said, Dad, what do you think about going there? And I said, well, mate, if that's where you want to be, go on and enjoy yeah. it. So he was lucky enough to, I think was, he played six a, years and won six grand finals. He had a he had a great run. Was there a little part of you that didn't want him to go there? No, not really. No, not really. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's just where well, he wanted been, to be. Over the time, there's been a few players sort of go from club to club yeah. over, the, over the river. Um, now, put this rumour to bed for me. Um, they, they, the rumour mill has it that you didn't get paid while you are coaching at West. But when the new grandstand got built, you said to Rod Lang, I've got to have my initials in the grandstand. Is that the truth to the scene? It was a funny thing, you know, because I, I, you know, I used to get on really good with all the indigenous kids at Weston and we used to have a great laugh and muck around with them. And I, I took them up to the top of the hill there one day and I said, you know, I haven't been paid here, but have a look at that. I've got my initials written right across the grandstand. 
and uh, and they all looked at it. And they all like, oh wow, how good's that, you know? And I said, no, you lunatics. It's it's the West Ham of Leagues Club, not not TLC. So, but they, yeah, they believed it for quite a while, which is quite funny. But um, no. Nah, I'm like you, mate. I never got paid. I just used to do it for love. Yeah, mate. Anything <laughs> I got once, I back over the bar anyway. You, yeah, exactly you know. right. And people used to say, you know, oh, you would have made good money at West because it was, uh, you know, the club. But I said, but people didn't realise it wasn't uh, what it was used to be at the Robins. You know, when it was actually the football club. Basically, when we were there, it was like a sponsorship, and it was a good sponsorship yeah. deal. But uh, yeah, the money that we we made through the club, we same again. Would be putting it back into the players and buying equipment and, and you know gear and, and looking after yeah, the players uh, so generally sometimes the players some of the players just didn't have cash anyway so you know, well it's buy. exactly right yeah. you know like i can remember you know a lot of the times there you know they had all the kids around we take them down and buy them a feed at mcdonald's and drive everybody home and you know just organize them. and that was probably one of the things that i really loved being at the club because you know you, you did a lot of community in, involvement with the kids and and uh and all the players and their families so probably did a lot more doing that side of it than the coaching side and I thought that that part of the coaching being close to all the families and trying to help everybody out sort of reflected on you know how we played and we won so many premierships. And I've, I've had a few captain coaches and a few coaches and stuff on, on the program but um, you can never ever get enough money as a coach to what you actually do you know that the time that goes in each week um, not just training nights and game day, but the, the time that's spent outside that. And some of it, as you'd know, being, being a coach, um, sometimes it wasn't even football. It was just to be there to take a phone call because I was going through tough times yeah. at home or at work. And you're exactly right. If I had to do a breakdown on, on coaching and what we did as, in the game, it was probably 20% was actually to do with coaching. The other 80% was you know, looking after and trying to manage the, the people. And, and as you would know, Mick, you know, you, you, you're like a, you know, like I used to tell people, it's like, you know, like a wheel of a bike and you've got the spokes that go out to everybody and you, you've got all the families, you've got the girlfriends so, and you've got the wives, so you've got all the, the turmoil at the club, you know, when they're fighting, they, they want someone to ring at, you know, two o'clock in the morning, whether it was going to the police station or, or you know, you know, trying to be there for them all, you know, and, and you go right through that and you get really connected to all the families and then, and then you also had all the committee as well and, and when we were there we were basically running everything so just to give you a rundown on my basically a, a day on game day rather than most coaches where you turn up and you talk to your players and get ready we were up at five o'clock in the morning we were down to the canines you know you're turning all the things on getting getting everything organized for canines packing we'd then go out set up the ground uh, get that all organized and we've gone up to the club getting floats trying to talk to people getting them ready you know, then you might have an hour to yourself and then you're back at the ground again, you know, trying to check on all the lower grades, make sure everything's there, you know, the equipment. By the, by the time you get to the pub to have a beer, you don't feel like one. Oh, yeah, and by the time you finish and then after the game, you know, and then you've got to do the same. You've got to clean up, pack up. It's time you get into the club to have a beer, you're totally exhausted. But, you know, that's what you, a lot of people don't see. You know, it wasn't just me, it would be a lot of coaches in the country football, and, and that's what really annoys me when when you see all the stuff and with the nrl now how these you know coaches are complaining that you know that they can't get this and can't do that i said well they should have a you know eat a bit of humble pie come out to the country for a while and see that the players you know they're traveling for three or four hours every game to have a game and then what they do and they haven't got 35 staff to help them out you know all these players and all these coaches need to have a reality check and get out of the country and just see what it's all about. We uh, we won't touch onto it too much, just out of respect for the two families. But there was a couple of uh, you know, tough times there with young Nuggy Coleman, uh, Darren Coleman, when he uh, 
committed suicide. That was a tough thing for the club to deal. And then uh, one of our supporters you know, passed away at training one, one night there. So trying to keep the guys and the families together, that would have been tough. Oh, mate, that was probably the, the, the toughest period as for coaching. As you would know, you were involved in all that as well, Mick. You know, and that, that, that ride that myself and you had to the hospital, you know, it's probably the worst sort of time we ever had to go through and try to keep that together. So, you know, they're the things that people don't sort of realise that you go through to try to, just how much that affects the club. And, you know, going back to the Nuggy Coleman, you know, he was our captain and, and going through a really hard time. And, you know, there's so many... There's so many options these days, you know, are you okay day and everything else yeah. that, you know, about all, all the matters that now, but back then it was sort of only just starting. So trying to spread yourself around and, and be directly involved with that and then trying to um, keep the, the club together because, you know, as you know, it, it affects everybody differently. Yeah. And then, and I think the thing with the Nagi Coleman one was that um, when we all sort of sat down and started having a bit of a chit-chat about different things, we all seen little signs but didn't put any of it together. So Yeah, you, you, and yeah, you don't. And there's then you, so much more support these days for that kind of and, stuff. And you do, and then then you sort of you beat yourself up too because you think, well, if I only you know done that little bit extra or do that, and, you know, and I was working with him for a while there and didn't realise you know exactly what he was going through as well. And, and there was a lot of other people in the same position as me that... Sort of knew that you know he was he he wasn't sort of at the top of his game and he was struggling, but you know we, we just didn't realise that that was going to happen and then, yeah. and to be directly involved in that and I was actually there um, straight after it happened and having to sit with him and stuff like that. So it was it was a really tough time and uh, and I can remember you know it was probably the lowest time as a coach as well because we had a lot of people and supporters that were really having a go at us that year because we didn't perform well because when you have a reality check like that and, and dealing with the younger players, it was, you know, football, winning a game of football is the last thing yeah, that they ever want to worry about. But, you know, we still copped a lot of criticism there for that, for the next six months. And, and then we all dug in together and, you know, then we sort of come through the other side. But, yeah, as you would know, that that was a real tough period. Yeah, and I think, you know, some of that might have come back to, to Nuggy himself as in, you know, the kind of person that he was. You know, he, mm. he was a champion bloke, um, got on with everybody, and I think he was well respected in and outside the rugby league circle. Oh, look, it, it, and, and he was. He, he, if you thought there would be one person that wouldn't go down that track, it'd be him because he was a champion little bloke and still remember him always sitting in the corner with a beer and a smoke and always <laughs> laughing. You know, we used to have some great times, you know, and myself, Big Spitter and that. We used to go up there and have drinks with him. And, and as we said, it was just a shock to everybody and because uh, he was such a champion Blake he was you know he was leading the club he was the captain and you know it was a shock to everybody. But, um, now you did have a, a few footballers over the years work work for you in your plastering business um, who was probably the, the best one that you had? Oh Jesus! I don't think I had any good ones mate. They, they... <laughs> well, I worked for you a couple of days I think I did a couple of days. Yeah well, I was just that stop go person so you know I had like apprentices come through all the time I've had about 12 or 13 apprentices think, uh... come through and you know we had some you know, kids come through and we had some Footballers, you know, when they were out of work, and that was just to come and do some labour. Well, you, you remember this? That the, the lead, I think, might have been Jeffrey Newling come to do an article because I'd actually left and gone to Norse, but I was working for you for a couple of weeks, and people couldn't work that out. It was just well, people it. have this big uh, this that they they love to have a bit of controversy, and and um, while me and you we, we might never agree, but I always respect your decisions and everything else. But people think because you don't agree that all of a sudden there's these conspiracy theories around that you hate each other and everything. And, and those people wouldn't realise too when you had your bad um, motorbike accident and, and nearly did yourself in that, you know, we were sitting there together 
you know, when you recuperate and when you open your eyes up, I was sitting there beside yeah. you, you know, and things like that that, you know, you go through. And yeah, you like, it's like, it's like anything, mate. You can have your arguments over the years and, you know, we've had some doozies, but you now there's always that uh, respect back and that, yeah, people love that sort of thing. And as, as Nilo, you couldn't believe it's it when you were sitting there yeah. working for me. Like, yeah. Well, I, man, I still remember when people saying, "How can you work?" Like he's coaching West, and you're at North. <laughs> he's paying me. Like it's, it's, it's a job. Yeah. I've got to work. Um, was, was coaching always where you wanted to go? Like I know you, you played a little bit of you know, first grade with Timber City, but did you ever think you'd get, get into coaching and then do it for so long? Well, I never really thought I'd get into the to the league coaching because I was so highly involved with the um, water polo, and we you know, we were doing a lot of touring back at that stage with the Australian side. So you know, we were going to different cities and different different um, states and travelling overseas. So you know, that's where I thought I'd stay. But um, sort of got to the point where you started swimming like a rock. You know, when the age catches up with you, and then um, and as I said, I sort of fell back into the league, and because I was. You know, so heavily ingrained in the coaching with the uh, water polo and playing with the water polo, I just like being around uh, sporting teams and helping out, and it sort of just progressed from there. And then when I got into the coaching, well, you know, because I had all the the skills from the water polo, and it was such a technical sport that I could uh, keep doing the um, in, in the footy, and then it just it just grew from there. I really enjoyed it. Just on your water polo, did did you give that away? because you found out you're allergic to cold water yeah well people probably didn't realize i was it was towards the end of my career so lucky it didn't happen during the early of the career and i was it had I was nothing cut. to do with shrinkage and cold water no nothing to do with that <laughs> come on mate don't you scott and uh no we were sort of i was captain coaching at that that stage and you know we went away at the new south wales side so we were actually swimming in the surf and i nearly drowned in the surf because i had an allergic reaction and i sort of I only just made it back and then um, it sort of hit me over the, a couple of years and I couldn't work out what was going on and um, it was just like a, an, an allergic reaction to the cold and so it was like the histamines where you start getting welts and swelling and you know, you, your airways clog up. We couldn't work it out and they ended up putting it down to this uh, cold urticaria okay. which is a rare, it's a rare form of um, an allergy and, uh, and over the years it's dwindled a little bit but I, I've learned how to control it. so. I basically had to give away water polo because I was allergic to cold water. <laughs> I still water. remember when we got told that I was all a bit of a G up. Allergic no, no. to cold water, aren't we? Allergic to cold water, so it's it's just a matter of controlling that. So it was a big, it was a really big, it was a really big time in my sporting career because I wanted to keep going there. But um, you know, it was, I had young, the boys were only young then, and I couldn't get in the surf and that sort of type of thing. But uh, it's it's well and easy controlled now, just with a bit of Clarentine, and that sort of helps it. And um, it's just a matter of being knowing exactly what you can do and can't do and, and sort of try to stay away from the, the icy water because we used to train here at, at uh, the Tamworth pool and I used to love ocean swimming so it was just a, you know, a sort of shock to the system to then have to watch what you're doing with the cold water. Even now in the middle of winter it still gets tough but you know you sort of live with it. Now outside rugby league I know you don't mind a little bit of time in the garden but um, I don't think that's your, your strong thing. I think your strong thing is um, painting. Painting, yeah, love most it. People, most people won't know that you, you've got your own business in that as well, Tony Latusa Arts, is it? Yeah, yeah, I've always been uh, heavily involved in art. Uh, even as a young kid, uh, mum used to um, be a fair artist, and that, as kids, you know, she used to give us some paint, and we used to paint everything that we could get onto, you know, the sides of the house and uh, the back fence, and I can remember 
painting the, the bedrooms and the old man would come home swearing in Italian, blowing up and then he'd paint the wall and we'd just start painting all over it again. So, so you know, we went right through school, you know, with uh, doing four unit art and then that sort of progressed into um, a painting business, which I've had now for about 10 years. Uh, so it's going really well. So Tony would choose her art. So, you know, it's just doing a sort of specialised in big, large paintings. So it's been uh, it's going from strength to strength so that's always been one of my passions in the art and I remember not many I didn't really tell too many people about it when I was coaching except for Dean Hoy being the um, the shit stirrer that he is he used to give it to me about painting flowers and I think no one really <laughs> realised what he was going on about but uh, yeah but I've always enjoyed that Mick and I think I've still got a, a picture at home that you actually hand drew of our Timor City side when we won it in 94 with the TC and his headband and yeah we used to do a lot of that going. used to do a lot of the old work ones as well and yeah, so I've always had that really that interest, and that's sort of taken me to a lot of places as well. So was that ever considered a, a career path? Yeah. Well, it could be, and it's sort of more of a career path now. Um, except um, back then, as I said, I was just—it's it, time-consuming, even though it, it's great, but it's time-consuming. And um, back then, with, with the uh, as you know, when you're coaching footy teams and water polo teams, and that you're that busy, you haven't got any spare time. You're trying to do your work, and that it's a full-time, you know. I wouldn't say job coaching football as a full-time, uh, something that you love doing, but it was only when that I um, retired from coaching at West that um, I sort of ripped right into the, yeah. the, Very, the painting. Uh, therapeutic, like is it nice and relaxing? Oh, it is too. It's a godsend for me because at the, by the time I finished coaching West and my head was ready to explode <laughs> because it was just, you know, it was just full on. I got to a point where I always said to people if I... If I don't enjoy it, I'd give it away, and it got to the point where the outside shell—it was just too much because we, you know, it was too much from the old players, and you know, we, we did what we did, and then we thought it would be a good time for someone else to come in and take over, and it was just unfortunate then that, um, you know, that, that it didn't last. But yeah, it's, it's, it is great. I love you know, the setup at home and at the studio there, and I just put music on, mate, and just paint. You know, it's, it's relaxing. And it's been great. You could probably get Dean Hoy one day to do a new model for you, but... Mate, yeah, it'd make a great Picasso, I tell you. <laughs> now, were you happy, sort of, I know you just talked about that, you know, the painting sort of helped you out at the end of your league with your, with your coaching. Were you happy when you give away the coaching the coaching gig? Yeah, I was ready to give it away then. That, that was 18 straight years just at West. And yeah, 18 straight years at West. So you sort of... I, I probably would have went... Days. I probably would have kept going at the coaching, except there was just too much outside noise and... It comes to a point, as you would know, you know, you can never keep everybody happy. So I've just sort of come to a point where I've had some really good people around me, like Brendan Hunt and those type of people at West. And Brendan was a godsend, you know, he come there, not only was he, he was a cracker player, he was a good leader. And, you know, we both sort of said, well, we've had enough. And um, I probably wouldn't have went on as long if it wasn't for Brendan there helping out. And, um, you know, he, we had, you know, similar philosophies on sport and life and, and everything else. So he was a great help there. but. Uh, I had enough by that stage and it was just good then I relaxed and got involved in you know watching a bit of rugby and that at Pirates and stuff and watching the young blokes and probably went to Pirates didn't yeah you? he went in Pirates and it was good just sitting on the other side of the fence and instead of getting abused you can sit there watching everyone <laughs> else abuse their poor blokes and I think oh well this is what it's like from from the back looking at the back of people's heads and having a few beers and actually really enjoyed it and the first few years it was you know, where you always miss your football, but I really enjoyed being on the other side of the fence, having a few beers and, and having a giggle of it. You know, the other coaches copping it. Is there, is there a thought that you'll ever get back into the coaching? Yeah, look, I would have liked to, uh, you know, 
I, I don't think it's a great thing now that West is, is defunct. And I, yeah, I really enjoyed being at West because it was the same when I was coaching New South Wales at the water polo. Yeah, you were the team, it was like Manly, everyone hated them. So, and I used to love that being as a coach because I always knew that it was everyone was at you. And, and then I'd love to get back into it now. And it's just a shame to see such a great facility there at West now and not having a club. Um, you know, I think probably Group 4 struggle, mate. I know you've been involved in it by not having that extra club and, you know, got that facility there and it's not being used. So it's crazy that we're sitting back now and there's no west side and we're not using that facility. And it was great to see. You can just see how it brought the community together just by having the Warriors there, yeah. you know. It, look, times might change and that, that's, you know, that's all for the next board. And, you know, New South Wales Rugby League will probably work something out there. But... Yeah, well, you'd be in the know now, mate. So you probably no, I'm not in the know. I'm yeah, well, yeah I've had, as you would know, you know, I had a good mate in Cameron George, who was the old West halfback, who's the CEO of the Warriors now, and and myself and Craig Powell been talking to him about, you know, maybe trying to get something going there, and they were talking about bringing a game back, but with the COVID yeah. going on now, it might not happen. But it's just a shame that things aren't working out there, and I think I'm, I'm look, I'm sure that it will go. There's someone that's going to put their hand up, but. You know, there's a lot of people that ask me about getting back into it and it'd be great not as far as maybe not as far as coaching wise that go in and, and give someone else a crack and you know set up a good structure you know because as you know like when you put your hand up for these jobs you've got to be prepared to you know you've got to have a thick skin and you're never going to make everybody happy mm -hmm. so you you don't don't apply for these jobs and don't go for jobs unless you know that you know you, you're going to cop it from all directions I'd, um... Ideally, I'd love to see football on that rugby league on that oval because it, you know it's it's a it's a heartland of Group Four. Mm. It's, it's got, got rich rich history. I'd like to see footy on there, but that's um, oh that's mate, I used to love so. you know being growing up in West Tamworth and South Tamworth. I used to love going up there and watching the the old uh, the old West Robins and you know just sit there and you watch all the old players like Pascoe's and. Roger Thompson's and just the way they played their footy and everything it used to be great sitting there watching them and it was such history and that's why it was so hard when they done the amalgamation you know with all the players and it wasn't only the West Robins you also had to think about the the, the Tamworth City Lions yeah. and I think they were sort of forgotten and all this and and um, it was a bit disappointing when there's a lot of players that were really having a go at the people that come in and as we said before that we were brought in there not knowing what was going on and we were there trying to fix up the problem so um, you know they had great tradition at the at the robins and you never forget where it came and you can see where all the players were going for what they thought that there was something you know we we're taking their club away but it was a matter of, of survival and it was like like now there's there's no club there at all yeah, so you which know is, which is sad but it, um won't talk about your regrets in rugby league because there probably wouldn't be too many but give us one of your greatest memories Oh, look, mate. You'd have a few. You won five premierships in a row. It wasn't only that, too. I think some of the greatest memories I've had wasn't winning the comp, Michael, or, or anything. Michael. Yeah, it was... Um, <laughs> I remember there was a year there before we had a... Uh, before we went from, on our five winning streak, we were, I had a, a small west side, and you know, and we were competing against a you know, really strong Norse, and you know, they just had giants, you know, like your Matty Parsons. And I remember there one year they had Peter Disco and all the boys there... Massey went and they brought in this ridiculous rule about unlimited interchange and I said holy hell you got these dinosaurs over there massive men and uh, you know but the effort that the boys give in that year we, you know was just as good as winning the grand final because those guys come in they give me everything for training we, we used to train the house down and we stayed longer than anybody 
and just to see a, a side compete as hard as they did and put their bodies on the line every week was, you know, it was one of the best memories. And it was like, you know, pick your favourite kid, you know, like you, you can't do it. But, but, you know, we won the, we won the, um, the University Shield at Tem High School, and uh, I was I was a member of that as a 15 year old, and you know that that was fantastic, you know, to win the Uni Uni Shield and at Tem High School, and and the the friendships, and we still have reunions, and you know all the water polo mate, I still have reunions every few months with the water polo, and just the friendships. So it's hard to say the highlights, but 2000 2001 mate, it's pretty hard to go past. You're you're yeah. a member of that side too, and back then I think that was probably the, the strongest group four's ever been yeah we're, we're getting thousands of people to the games well 2000 i think was the, the first premiership win for the for the amalgamated side yeah and it, and it was massive you know that the build up between the two sides and you know i know a lot of that was beat up between myself and maddie munro and and you know to get the sides well, put there, bums on seats it put bums on seats you know and then and we knew that was sort of going on so you sort of went on with it and we had Mate, the football then was ferocious, was, and uh, like the two sides, you know, were, were full chocolate block, full of ex Sydney players and ex representative players. You know, when you think of Brad Smith, yourself, you know, guys like Jace Holland, Franco, those type of blokes, Anthony Heaney, it sort of went on, and, and North had the same, mate. Like, they, yeah, Maddie, Maddie Munro, yeah, Geordie Peach, Geordie Peach, you know, Big Disco, Lewis. yeah, they had they had so Remember many good Magnus. players and. The games, mate, as we said, you know, you get four or five thousand people to a game, which you, you wouldn't get three or four hundred people to them. And, and back then it was everybody, whether you were a league player or a union player, a hockey player, everyone wanted to go to the football. And it, it was sensational back those years. And to get the two wins was enormous for the club and you know, enormous for the players because, we, we, you know, as you would know, we worked we pretty worked damn the, hard. Um, some of the changes in the game, and we'll talk about, you know, because again, you know, your, your coaching spanned over like two or three decades. There's been a lot of changes in that time. Just talk us through some of the ones you'd, you'd like to get rid of altogether, basically. And, and you probably touched on one that I hate is the interchange. I'd rather have no mm. interchange. And when you, when you get sub, that's it. But that's going way back to the leather boots and you know, leather ball days, you know, high top boots and leather balls. But there's been a lot of changes in that, that 30 odd years. Talk us, just tell us some of the things you don't like with some of the changes um, in the game nowadays. Well, I think we, you need that real balance of keeping the football at what it is because we don't want to lose the actual the soul of the game and, and what it's about and what it looks like. Because if, if we keep going making too many changes, um, it's going to look more like touch football or Oztag or something else. So we still need to have keep the game the way it looks like. I know a lot of people you know, at the moment are talking about the scrums and getting rid of the scrums. You know, but again, it gives you that. It's it's part of the structure, part of the soul, the thing. Where you can say, you know, I think we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago about, mate, stop letting the coaches dictate of what's going on and get back to, and play to the rules. So, you know, instead of having, you know, you, instead of having your halfbacks and wingers packing in the scrums, make them pack as the forward pack, and you have to be in there as your forward pack. Leave the backs. You know, to get the ball, and it's one occasion in a game where the backs can excel, and you can see some excitement, and you can see some skill coming through. Where it's backs on backs with no forwards in the road, you know, it's a great idea now that they're bringing the scrum. You can pack it wherever you want it. So you've got backs on backs, and let's get creative. So I don't think you don't want to sort of move that out. And one, my pet eight mate, is probably everybody's, and that, that's that knock-on rule. I don't know how every single time that you touch the ball and you don't catch it cleanly that they call 99% they call it a knock-on 
you know, a knock-on to me is a knock-on. The ball's got to go forward. But you watch it every game, and it happens in every game. The minute a player touches the ball, it doesn't matter whether it goes back or what, they go knock-on, knock-on. That, that's one. But, you know, the best one, Mick, is uh, the best rule change I've ever seen is the, the corner post. How exciting has the, the game been? The winger, some of the, so some of the tries. Some of the, you know, like before, like we used to say, you used to pick your team, and if you're a winger, that you know, well, you can fill in. <laughs> and um, like now, you know, the wingers are, they're, they're such a strong part of the clubs these days well, because they're like finishing. It's, it's, mate, some of the best highlights over the last few years have been wingers showing, you know, like they're, they're acrobats, you know, like some of the tries has gone a fantastic. Well, I said to Nathan Hamlin last week, your winger used to be the last pick these days, is nearly your first pick. Mate, they're finishing tries, and you only got to look at the Morris boys, mate, you know, they're, they're nearly as old as me and you, and they're still running around, and they're, and they're scoring these fantastic tries, but it, it's because of that one rule, and I'll have to give it to it, is that, you know, it was a rugby union rule that we, we stole <laughs> off, and it's the best one thing we've ever stolen off rugby union, is that, you know, that that's been one of the highlights of watching, and, and every game you see it, mate, and it's just it's it is one of the highlights. Now, um, funny footy story, you'd have to have a few, but give us one of your one of your best. Oh. It, might, it might it might involve like a, a person like Brad Smith because he was a very funny man, Kramer. But uh, I'm sure you've got a, a funny footy story that you could share that's clean for the podcast. Oh, well, that just wiped out 99 percent of it. <laughs> but yeah, oh, I really can't think of one off the end now. <laughs> you put me on the spot. We'll come back to what I like that, I think. Because when you've, you've coached some characters, Brad Smith, Brad McManus, Willie Gerard, oh, um, Chuck Ellsley. Chuck Ellsley, that mate, they've all come up with some really Mark funny Frankel, ones. Mark Dean Hoy, all those Dean type of players. So you, when you've coached some Darryl guys that, that could certainly bring out a story or two, and some certainly won't be clean for the show, but some there'd be some good ones in there somewhere. Now, um, obviously, a lot of people wouldn't have known that you're an artist, so we've touched on that. Um, um, Football idol when you were growing up, who, who did you idolise as, as a you know, an NRL player, I guess? Who was that? Well, the one player I used to love watching, and that's why I always supported Manly, and we haven't got too many supporters, and Willie Gerard and a couple of others that support Manly, was Terry Randall. I used to love watching Terry Randall because he used to... Uh, people that don't know of Terry Randall, he was a you know, front row, back row, centre for Manly, and he was the first guy to really you know take the that defensive... Game in, and, and he used to tackle, and he used to get, he used to get horizontal, mate, and just cut blokes in half. Yeah, so he was... used to love watching Terry Randall back in the, back in the days when it, it was tough football, and, yeah. he, and he he was a standout. Sports idol. Yeah, sports idol. I, you know, I I probably can't go past Federer. You know, like, yeah. um, you know, I, I just love the way that he plays the game, and he, and you know, and he his respect for history. Um, you see a lot of guys now, you know, that's all about themselves and they, they don't do it. But I think Federer, with his, with, with his technique and how, you know, what a gifted player and his technique and he's rich on, on the history of the game and you can tell it, it, you know, there's no better moment, you know, when he won and, you know, and, he, and you can see, you know, he was crying and, you know, he was so honoured to meet Labor and those type of players that, you know, you don't see that in, in sport these days. So he, he's always been a pinnacle to me. Now, um, three quick, uh, three questions. You get a little bit of time to talk, and then five quick ones, and we're done. Prime Minister for a day, what would you change? Lots. Is <laughs> uh, one million dollars? What would you do with it? You, uh, you've got plenty anyway. Oh, one million dollars, mate. I'd probably look after the kids and then uh, go on a big holiday. Uh, who's been the biggest pest you've coached? Dean Hoy, without a doubt. <laughs> yes. 
Okay, now these quick questions. No, no time to think. You just bang them straight off. Right. Okay, beer or bourbon? Beer. Um, blonde or brunette? Uh, red. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you might have said both. Um, pie and a can of coke or beer and steak at the footy? Uh, beer and a steak. Celebrity crush? Jesus. That was it, Jesus. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've had one, a celebrity right, crush. Okay. Nothing at all. All right, who's your favourite superhero? Oh, look, I'd have to always go back to uh, Superman, mate, Superman. one of the originals, not one of these made-up ones these days now. Because my young bloke, he was right in with the superheroes, he was right into Batman, but every time you look around now for all these Marvel things, there's a new superhero. New like, yeah, back when we grew up, there was only three or four of them. Batman and Robin and Superman. Yeah, that was it. Now, now, every time you look around, there's a new bloody superhero. Yeah. Mate, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, mate. And, uh, Pleasure. We'll talk again. Thanks, everybody. Thank and you. we'll see you next week.